It was a hot summer day in August of 1949 when 15 smoke jumpers descended upon Man Gulch in the St. Helena National Forest in Montana. These elite firefighters had been tasked with controlling a fire that was quickly sweeping through the vast wooded area. It wasn't long before the crew realized that the situation was hopeless and that they needed to run to safety. It was then that their team leader, Wagner Dodge, did something altogether unexpected. He yelled to his crew to drop their packs and follow him. Moments later, the crew members saw Dodge open a book of matches from his pack and begin lighting small fires where he was standing, burning the grass beneath his feet. Fearing for their lives and knowing they needed to run to safety, the crew members assumed that Dodge had inhaled too much smoke and had gone mad. After all, he was lighting fires when they had come to put out the flames. As the rest of his crew continued trying to outrun the flames, Dodge laid down on the burnt patch he had created, placed a wet towel over his face, and waited. Only four of the 15 smoke jumpers survived, and one, one was Wagner Dodge. The other three finally, though reluctantly, dropped their heavy packs and were in just good enough shape to run to safety. Had the entire team followed Dodge, all of them may have survived the flames. No one ever taught us this in any of our firefighter classes, one survivor remarked. What Wagner Dodge was doing made no sense. It made no sense whatsoever to anyone on his team. Today's lectionary reading from the Old Testament has that all-too-familiar story of Adam and Eve falling prey to temptation in the garden. And whether you read this story literally or not, there are strands of meaning layered throughout the narrative. And there may be no more fitting story for the state of our world today, at least when it comes to the challenges and difficulties of limiting ourselves in a world ever striving for more. God, we are told, had invited the first humans to a life of joy and restraint. Only one tree, only one tree, says the Lord, leave that one tree alone. Have your fill of everything else, but this one, this one tree is not to be touched. The sin of Adam and Eve is the sin of not living within one's limits, living within one's means. Anyone here ever been guilty of this? I know I am. 
The ancients speak of sin as a flame that burns within, that ignites the passions, overtaking our sensibilities to such a degree that we no longer think clearly. Our imaginations become clouded. Everything Everything becomes ordered by what we desire, by what we want to acquire. Something I've come to realize, however, is that spiritual maturity has less to do with not sinning. It has less to do with not doing what's wrong. It has everything it has everything to do with trusting in the grace and mercy of God. They heard the sound of the Lord. Do you ever wonder what God sounds like? They heard the sound of the Lord. Did they hear footsteps? Is God a heavy breather? Maybe God always has a song in his heart. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. However sweet sounding or noisy, they know. They know it's God coming and we are told that they are afraid. And God says, where are you? I was afraid, says Adam, because I was naked. Who told you that? asked God. Adam? Adam, did you eat from the one tree that I said not to eat from? And notice Adam's response. That woman! That woman! She gave it to me. God wanders over to Eve, who's still hiding a, behind a bush over in the corner. What have you done? asks God. That snake! That snake! He tricked me! Notice that neither of our first parents answer God's question. Deception breeds deception. It's so easy to blame someone else for our failures, and we become afraid of God when we turn away from the all-merciful God. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered what might have happened if those first humans, upon hearing God singing in the garden, came running up to God saying, I'm so sorry. You told us not to, but we did it anyway. Please forgive us. The sin, it seems, has less to do with eating from the tree and more to do with not admitting that they screwed up. The failure lies in recognizing that they are humans who need the all-merciful, all-forgiving, all-understanding God, the God who stands ever ready to receive and forgive, just as the father received his prodigal son. 
What if the original sin is not eating some forbidden fruit? What if the sin is not owning their limits and weakness and not confessing the sin of going against the will of God? Pride cometh before the fall, as the saying goes. It is pride that keeps us from admitting that we're wrong, that we've done something we weren't supposed to do. This same pride makes me search for flaws in others to find holes in the arguments of those who disagree with me. Doing so is a refusal to question my own action and judgment, which gives way to a fearful heart. Adam and Eve were afraid because they saw that they were naked. They did not see the God who created them and loves them. They're too busy noticing themselves. If pride comes before the fall, it is insecurity that gives way to pride. And it is this insecurity that keeps us from God, that keeps us from the God to whom the psalmist prays, if you, O Lord, if you, O Lord, were to take note of what is done amiss, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. Therefore, you shall be feared. The God-fearing sinner stands in awe of the loving God who, even though we whom God has created for perfection have a terrible tendency to mess everything up, even so, even so there is only mercy. There is only forgiveness in the heart of God. There is only understanding. With our God, writes the psalmist, there is plenteous redemption. It is when we turn from grace that we become afraid, which is not the same as godly fear. The fear God, to fear God is to inhabit the mystery of God's love, the limitless God, the God who bothers to love and attend to us limited, so often misguided humans. Like the firefighters of Mangulch, we have to shed whatever may be weighing us down, whatever may be keeping us from honesty with God, honesty with ourselves and others. To become honest, we will need the humility to rethink our assumptions, especially our assumptions about God, especially our assumptions about others. 
I can see how watching a person lighting a bunch of flames amidst a raging forest fire would look crazy. But in an interview with one of the, one of the survivors, the smoke jumper said that when he finally decided when he finally decided to drop his heavy pack in order to run to safety, he first looks around. He first looked around for a safe place to put his chainsaw. It was only later did, that he recognized just how ridiculous this was. When Jesus is accosted by the Pharisees in today's gospel, they claim that he has a demon. We hear the tail end of a story that begins in an earlier part of Mark, Mark's gospel. The reason they're tracking Jesus down in the first place is because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. How dare you do the Lord's work on the Lord's day, they said. Obviously. Obviously, only a possessed man would heal on the Sabbath. You and I have the luxury of time and the gospel writings. The Pharisees, however, were limited by the inability to rethink what they knew about God. God does not become incarnate. God does not heal on Saturdays. God does not... And the list goes on. And because God does not do these things, Jesus must be crazy. Jesus must be possessed. And then, and then they employ that age-old threat that grown-ups have used since the dawn of time. I'm going to tell your mother. And when Mary shows up, Jesus makes the audacious claim that just warms every mother's heart. My mother, says Jesus, is anyone who does the will of God. And you can just see Mary off in the corner saying, you listen here, I gave birth to you, boy. <laughs> but here's the thing. Just like Adam and Eve, the Pharisees make assumptions about how God behaves. And God is not open for healing on Saturdays. Their condemnation of Jesus is based not on the healing actions of the Lord. It is based on never having experienced God acting in this way before. Adam and Eve assume that God would be unforgiving, so they hide. So what is the will of God? What is the will of God that makes us family with Jesus? Among other things, it is an openness to learning something new about God and the willingness to turn around when we find ourselves running away from Christ. It's that simple. And the only thing standing in our way is us. Amen.